tonight. Debbie, is that at 6.30 tomorrow night? 6.30 here in the sanctuary. Uh, Debbie and some of the, the mission team are going to be here. They're going to have an opportunity to share more details about the trip, show you some of the, the pictures and things, and also to let you know what's being planned and what's coming next and, and more trips. Absolutely. So you can come and uh, be a part of that and, and not only, like I said, celebrate what, what was done, but also learn a little bit more about more opportunities and not only this summer, but I have a feeling this is going to be an ongoing ministry partnership for the church. So there'll be wonderful opportunities. So want to uh, want to invite you to that uh, tomorrow night. Second time this morning that I've got to see the... Uh, the, the video that you just saw. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't really think about it in the first service. I was kind of focused in on the pictures. But, uh, but I was listening to the song this time around. And, and Hills and Valleys. And I don't know how it just kind of slipped by me the, f- the first service. But it did. Uh, but I thought what a wonderful kind of build or segue, if you, if you will, to, to some thoughts this morning. As we're about to turn uh, to the scripture. And we're... we're going to be thinking about, I think, this, this challenge for us, and that is that we embrace, we long for the hills, the, the high moments of life, the times when we're kind of at the peaks and, and things are good. That, that's what hills represents to me. When I think the hills, I think, you know, when, when life's just good. But, but the song reminds us that God's presence is in the hills and the valleys. And a lot, a lot of times it's in the valleys that we experience even more powerfully the presence of God and the opportunity of God that he calls us to and that, that we have to, to be in ministry. And I was thinking about those who, who were in ministry and those who are on the ongoing ministry there at the orphanage and how there's, there's probably a lot of valley experiences and the challenges they face, yet the power of God at work in the midst of that. And, and so to, to kind of recognize that reality, and, th- and that becomes kind of a, a theme this morning. And before we, we dig into that, let's, uh, let's, let's root ourselves as we do in the scripture this morning. This, this text in Luke chapter 13, we'll pick up at the end of the chapter, verse 31. And we're, we're, we're in this time of the, the narrative of Jesus' life and the movement of his, of his ministry. He's on that journey toward Jerusalem, which becomes a culmination of sorts of, of his earthly ministry and, and the place, as you know, that um, he will face his arrest and he will face his betrayal and, and his persecution and his crucifixion and ultimately the, the power of life and resurrection. All of that is coming to, to fruition. It's, it's moving in that direction. But, but before we get there, Jesus gives us a powerful example of, again, recognizing the reality but, but God's work in the midst of it. So this is what we read at verse 31. It says this, at that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Now, that's an interesting thing for me. I don't know if it struck you, but, but it's interesting to me that the Pharisees, on a side note, the Pharisees are the one that come to say to Jesus, 
um, be careful, Herod wants to kill you. Because they were not Jesus' biggest fan, if you know the Gospels. If you're familiar with the story, there's ob- most often an adversarial relationship painted there. But here they're the ones that say, be on alert, be warned, be aware. And this is how Jesus responds. Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day. For surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Friends, sisters, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious God, this is your word and we pray our hearts are open to your voice, to your speaking, to your truth, and to the hope that we have through faith. Use these moments now, these words, may they be pleasing to you, inspired by your Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Unfortunately, in the last couple weeks, the, the image that a lot of us have, of, um, or the thoughts, I should say, that we have of Las Vegas has changed significantly through no fault of, of anybody but a, but, a, but a tremendous act of evil. But... But obviously, that is, that is what we think of right now because it's been on our prayers and on our hearts, the, the loss of life and, and just the, the, the horror of what happened a couple weeks at that um, concert. Up until then, though, most of us had a very different image of, of, of Vegas. And, and that's kind of where I want to I wanna draw on that uh, image what we might call a more traditional thought about, about the city of, of Las Vegas. And, and I just preface that because I know where we tend to go right now. But, but if you could kind of time warp back a few weeks, and you could think of, if we started talking about Las Vegas, and I asked you, what are the images and what are your thoughts of Vegas, it'd be interesting to see the kind of, kind of things that, that we would talk about and if you've been there. And even if you haven't, the pictures that you've seen. Uh, I, I only have been to Vegas one time. A couple of years ago, Tony and I went. We went in August which is a wonderful time to visit the West. Um, I, no, no I, I know some of you may be from out there, and, and I've heard this talk about, well, it's a dry heat. It's a hairdryer heat is what it is. I, I don't know. People said, oh, it's better than the humid humidity of Florida. No, thank you very little. It's not. Um, I will take our humidity. It was brutal. Um, but that... It's just a side note, but we went in August because we're crazy, and um, but it was a, it was a wonderful time to kind of experience Vegas or see Vegas, and and you know it's it's a neat place to visit. Uh, there is it's sensory overload. That's how I kind of describe Vegas: sight, smell, sound. I mean, it's just nonstop, and and so there's just there's so much to kind of take in, and and um, it, it was the things that you see that started to to kind of 
I, I paid attention to the whole the whole strip. I shouldn't say Vegas because Vegas is is bigger than what most of us think of. But that that main strip, uh, it's it's just a billboard. I mean, the whole place is a billboard. Uh, buses are billboards, and and people are billboards, and and you know then the big the big signs and things to try to attract you to come to shows and casinos and all the things that that Vegas is known for. But it was also interesting to note that. You could also catch some of the history of the city because there are signs and advertisements and references to things who are, that have long since passed, shows and events that are still to be found, um, little Easter eggs, if you will. And one of the things that, that, that just caught my attention because it was one of the, the longstanding shows of Vegas, one of the most successful shows of Vegas that ran until about 15 years ago. Um, that, that I, I remember hearing so much about over the years, and that was the famous show at the Mirage, if any of you are Vegas people, that inc- incorporated both magic and live animals. You know what I'm talking about? Siegfried and Roy, right. The, the, the show, Siegfried and Roy, which was, which was, I never saw anybody in here see that show. Okay, a smattering of you. So you know more personally, you've seen it live. I never did, obviously. But, uh, but I know that that's the basic premise, and I've seen, you know, videos and them on other places where the, it was that illusion, and then it was also these magnificent animals that they incorporated into the show. And ultimately, it was those magnificent animals that became the downfall of, of the show. You remember in, in August 3rd of 2003, when Roy fell, and... The, the young white tiger, uh, Manticore, pounced on him and caused significant bleeding that led to a number of strokes. And he miraculously survived, but it kind of ended that, that run. I think that it started in the 60s for, for those two. But it was the, one of the things that, that is reported that Roy said even in the immediate aftermath, even as he's in the ambulance and in the days that, that came afterward, I'm about that tiger. And his phrase was, don't harm her. She's a good tiger. She's a good tiger. And, and there's been a lot of investigation, if you will, and analysis of what happened that night and, and, and what went wrong. But I read one recently that, that I thought was pretty powerful. And it said that, that the mistake that was made, if you want to say that, by Siegfried and Roy, Siegfried and Roy, is that they bought into their own illusion. That they become, became, if you will, um, blinded by their own illusion. The illusion was that these magnificent animals were docile domestic cats. That, that they were, they, they were um, you know, very much like many of, many of you have in, in your homes. And his statement that this is a good tiger was exactly true. It was a good tiger. But they had forgotten what a good tiger is. A good tiger is built to hunt Good tiger is created to to pounce, and 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 they are killing machines. And I don't mean that in a terrifying way. I mean in a in a way that they were designed. And absolutely, he was a good tiger. And absolutely, 
should not have been harmed and wasn't. But it was that good tiger that, that became, um, that led to a moment of, of great, great harm. For specifically for Roy. But, but the illusion, the line was, they bought into their own illusion. And that's what jumped out at me at this analysis. They bought, up into, bought into their own illusion. Uh, psychologists will tell you that one of the greatest capacities we have as humans is the ability for self-deception. The ability to lie to ourselves and believe our own lies. Now this happens not necessarily in, in significant ways. It happens in very subtle ways. For instance, it happens when the 40-something-year-old looks in the mirror and says, you know what, I don't think I look any different than I did in my 20s. <laughs> or when you put on those pair of pants, and I'm sure they'll fit, you know? Uh, Self-deception. It's the, the student that we may all have been at one point, or some of us have been, says, no, I'll, I'll do fine if I don't study and I don't prepare. Or the student who, after they don't do fine, says, well, I couldn't have done any better anyway. You know? The self because it, 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 it protects us. It's the, it's the parent that says, I'm sure tonight he's going to sleep through the night. <laughs> Tony and I had a lot of those hopes and dreams for years. Uh, you know, it's, the, it's the, the, the person that, no, this year I will get my taxes done before April 14th. You know, it's, it's this kind of repetitive thing that we do to, to deceive ourselves. And again, it's not always in destructive ways. I don't mean to, to imply that. But it becomes measures of, of protection that, that protects us, whether it's our ego, whether it's our sense of vulnerability, whether it's our sense of insecurity, but, but we create these, these illusions, if you will, and, and we buy in to these illusions because we have a, a remarkable ability to deceive ourselves regarding the realities that we often face ourselves, or that we often face. We do this individually, we do this corporately. I've started recently reading and listening to historical no Civil War novels. I told you after I went to Gettysburg last year, I just kind of got, have gotten into that. And I'm, I'm reading and I'm, I'm listening to these accounts of, of the, the, the Confederacy holding on to a war that it became really obvious they were going to lose. I mean, a year before, it was obvious they were going to lose. But they bought in and generals and leaders bought into a self-deception. We've got this. We're one battle away from turning it around. We're one moment away from gaining momentum and it led to countless and, and uh, uh, unnecessary loss of life. That happens on a, on a large scale. It, it happens in a personal scale. And it becomes very dangerous. Because in those moments, we not only deceive ourselves, but we lose the opportunity to, to be at work in the midst of our reality. And when we don't claim our reality, we don't recognize it, we can't begin to be open to, to how God's at work in the midst of it or how God calls us to be at work in the midst of it. Uh, how God calls us to, to act and, and sometimes change and embrace the opportunities because we, we just, it's, it's not real. We, we find ourselves kidding ourselves. And, and sometimes people outside see it far better than we do. 
Uh, talk to a, a financial planner or an accountant or a tax person and ask them about the times, obviously they, they can't tell you specifics, about the times when they've seen income statements and expense statements. Income that's here, here, expenses that are here. And the times they just shake their head and go, who are they kidding? But we can deceive ourselves. Well, I'm just, I'm a moment away from a break. I'll get that credit card paid off. It's not that big a deal. And maybe you've done that. I have. Okay? So don't hear me throwing stones. I'm, I'm guilty of that too. I've made those mistakes. Or that family counselor who's sitting with the family that is just split all apart with broken relationships and kids and parents and spouses that are, that are just in places where they cannot coexist. And yet the ability to deny that reality the ability to, to pretend it's not real or it's not that big a deal or it's not significant. And, and the, they sit there and they would never say it out loud. But the question becomes, who are you kidding? Well, the reality is we kid ourselves all the time. Sometimes in, in significant ways. I don't care if you think you look 20 in your 40s. No big deal. But sometimes in far more destructive ways. And the, 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 the point is that, that in doing that, we miss opportunity. Because it is not just in the moments when life is good, when we're at the top of the hill, when, when everything's ideal, which are very few moments anyway in our lives. But those aren't the places only that God's at work. God's work in the challenges and the messiness and the difficulty and even sometimes the brokenness of life. And that's what we find in this text. That's what we realize. That's what Jesus exemplifies in this text in Luke 13. Not his brokenness, but the fact that he recognizes that the world is broken and that he's in a tough situation. It's not a mountaintop. It's not perfect. It's not ideal. But yet God's called him and God's working in, the, in that place. And he's working in that place. Here, let me tell you what I mean. It's interesting that the text this morning comes, there, there's an alternate gospel text, an alternate text from Luke, and that's in Luke chapter 9, and that is Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus says he takes Peter, James, and John to the top of the mountain, and there communes with Elijah and Moses, and, and hears the voice of God, and it is this idyllic, a beautiful picture of, of serenity and, and Christ's connection with the Father and the power of God's presence, and it is wonderful, so much so that if you remember that Peter wants to build tents. He wants to camp out there. So would I. You know, that's the place. If we could stay here, it's messy down there. Let's stay up here. Remember, Jesus has no part of that. In fact, it says immediately, immediately goes back down. And then we have this text today, which, which isn't immediately after that story in the gospel, but is not far afterward. And, and this is the opposite of that kind of experience. Because Jesus, in the midst of his teaching, in the midst of the preaching, gets this message from the Pharisees and says, Hey, Jesus, just so you know, Herod wants to kill you. Now, we gloss over that, but that's a heavy message. I've never, I've known people who'd be very angry at me. But I've never heard anyone literally say, we'd really like you dead. And if they have thought it, I appreciate they've copped it to themselves. But, but, but that's what Jesus hears, and it's, it's, it's real. It's significant. Herod wants to kill you. And that's a moment where Jesus could have easily just brushed aside that reality. He could have kind of pushed it aside, said, I don't need to deal with that. I don't need to face that. Not now. But he doesn't. 
He knows it's real. He knows it's real. He knows that is the culmination of his ministry, that that's where this trip to Jerusalem is taking him. How do we know that? Because he references it both in verses 33 and 34. In verse 33, he says, no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. He knows why he's going to Jerusalem. He knows what's going to happen there. He goes on to say, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who have been sent to you. He knows his reality. But he also knows that in the face of the reality, God has called him. God, he has been empowered as the son to be at work. To be committed to the ministry and the opportunity God gives him, not on the mountaintop, but in the valley to bless and to touch and to heal and to make the sick well emotionally, spiritually, and physically. In fact, he says so much. He says, you go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. He goes on to say, I must press on today, tomorrow, and the next day. In other words, Jesus knows that it is not in the idyllic, perfect fantasy situations that we might embrace, that he might embrace. Those aren't the places that the power of God is most powerfully felt, but it's rally in the messiness, in the dirt, in the, in the relationships, in the encounters with the people that he's been called to. And no matter what may come, no matter how difficult this reality may be, no matter who may wish him harm, he is going to stay committed to that which God has called him to. That which he has come to do, and that is to heal the broken, to restore the afflicted, to preach the good news of the kingdom. He is going to, if he can take my phrase, keep on keeping on, regardless of the messiness going on around him. And it's not a denial. He's not buying into an illusion. He's recognizing a reality and saying that reality will not define me, but God is at work here, and I am at work here, and I'm going to continue to be at work here. See, the challenge for so many of us is we miss our opportunities because we're not living in the reality, because we don't like it, and I understand that. Some of our realities are messy, and we wish they would change, and that's okay, it's okay to push for better. It's okay to, to want to affect positive change in your lives. I'm not arguing against any of that. But don't miss the opportunity in the midst of where you are right now. Because we live in a fantasy world, we accomplish nothing. Remember The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? Did you ever see that movie? Either in 47, well, not in 47 maybe, but the old one maybe you saw in reruns with Danny Kaye or the 2013 with... Ben Stiller, maybe you read the book or comic or however it came out. But Walter Mitty was a character that lived in a fantasy world. And when the analysis of his fantasy worlds, it kept him from actually dealing with the reality all around him. He created a false narrative of his life, but he never engaged in the reality of where he was. We can easily fall into that trap. We can easily fall into that trap. And yet God calls us to be at work in the messiness because God's at work in the messiness. There's opportunity there. You know, the, the mission trip, that, that, that's messy work. Not, not because of anything less than the beauty of the children, but it's not easy. It's not the ideal situation. Nobody would want kids in that place because families have abandoned them or, or they found themselves afflicted with illness or, or uh, other physical challenges. But the power is those who have said 
into this messiness, into this less than perfect situation, we're going to be at work, healing and blessing and loving. That's our challenge. That's, that's our call. Hey, wherever you are, keep on keeping on. Let the Holy Spirit work through and in and with you in the midst of those situations. A couple years ago when I went to Kenya, which I shared a lot about in that, those days afterward that I returned, I'll never forget in one of the visits to, to the slums there in Kenya, one of the visits to a mother who, who I shared with you who had three children. She had AIDS. Two of her children had AIDS. And as we're going into this 10 by 10 room to visit, I'll never forget they said to us, please, and when I say they, those who were leading the ministry and were in relationship with her, they said, please don't give her money. And that was hard because we're thinking that's what she needs, right? That's going to make it better. Let's give her money. They said, don't do that. Don't do that. Because we're working for her to face the reality and they're giving her the tools and the resources needed to, to be at work and to recognize God's at work to better her situation in a permanent way, in an everyday engagement and, and, and developing skills and, and contributing to the marketplace. And they said that when you just give money, you create a, a false reality, an expectation that it's just going to show up instead of her need to kind of embrace the reality and be at work and allow God to be at work in her lives to create a new reality for her life. And, and I think sometimes we have to kind of embrace those hardships and those difficulties and let God work to, to be difference makers and to create new realities. But not buy into the illusions that we so easily create. Not buy into the illusions that, that are so enticing to us because they take us away from the reality of where we are. Recognize God's presence. Jesus says, I must be doing the things that I've been called to do. I will do it today, tomorrow, and always. Let us have that same kind of, <coughs> excuse me, that same commitment to keep on keeping on. Friends, let us pray. Lord, we pray that you would meet us. Actually, Lord, we know that you meet us, that we'd be aware of the ways that you meet us.